going to shout louder than my circumstances. I'm going to worship you because you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are going to come through for me. Come on, it's a shout unto the Lord, not a whisper, not a wet blanket. Whether you're in battle, whether you're in the middle of a storm, come on, or whether you're in victory, it says shout unto the Lord. David made a loud sound to God all the time. When he was in victory, he was actually ridiculously loud and a little bit carried away in one circumstance. So much so that his wife was embarrassed by his loudness, but that was David's heart. Come on, he was passionate about God and all that he was doing. But see, what I believe in part of why next year our marketplace initiative, you've got to start giving out of what you got. A lot of us just come, well, hurry up, I'm at church on Sunday, or maybe I'll get there on time if I, and a lot of people are not serving, we don't come. Should be always in the house of God. Come on, that's the best day of the week, Sunday. Our babies love coming to church. As always, we tell them from really little. We tell them, Zara, guess what day it is today? It's Sunday, the best day of the week. She's every time we buy her a new dress, the first place she wears it is to church. I'm like, that can be your pretty church dress. Come on, the best. She's excited. She loves church. She loves to come to church. You know why she's excited? Because we're excited about church. See, it wears off. If you're complaining about going to church, that affects your husband, your wife, and whatever, your children, come on. They're like, well, mum and dad aren't excited about church. Mum and dad don't. All, and they hear, come on, children here. They hear what you're talking about. They hear who you're putting down. They hear what you're saying. But if you're excited, your kids will be excited and they'll continue to be excited about the house of the Lord. Were they always excited? No. Sometimes we have to drag our kids. We're going to church. It's what we do. Come on, it's what we do. We go to church. I don't care if you don't feel like it. We go to church. We taught them a pattern. They had to stand during worship. That was because we said, we don't care if you don't sing, you're going to stand during worship. You're going to honour God. But then during the message, you can draw colour. They didn't have all the electronic stuff back then. But come on, we always, that is the most important thing. We love the house of God. Going to church isn't it for Christians, it's not an option. Being part of the church, being part, how do you get involved? You know, I watch people, they, they come to church and they're just casually involved, but then they get on the team and start to meet people and form friendships. And come on, that's how we build community. If you're not serving, you're not doing anything, you're just no commitment. We should want to be committed to the house of God. It's God's house. He loves each other. I don't care what anybody says. God's not doing away with the house of God. Come on. He's changing things, yes, but he's never going to do away with the gathering of his people. He's never going to do away with it. Come on, he says, let us be planted. God says, let us be planted. If you're unsure about that, there's a great book by Pastor Robert Gay. He's a CI minister called Planted. Come on, about being planted in the house of God. A plant that is planted grows. It flourishes. Praise is expressing to God our appreciation. Come on, our appreciation and understanding of his great worth. It's saying thank you for each aspect of his divine nature. You know what? Our inward attitudes become our outward expressions. Come on, our inward attitudes 
become our outward expressions. What are you in? Oh, I don't really want to be here. Well, that shows. The drags to this church is finished. We're out the door. Right, back to my life. What I've got to do. You know what? All that can be gone just like that. God will never be gone. Come on. Even if you leave this earth, you go on to eternally be with him. He'll never be gone. That's why Jesus needs to be our centre. He needs to be the middle of everything. And then the the awesome thing is when he is the centre, our career, our children, our marriage, everything else works out of that. But when you don't have him as the centre, when you're the centre and he fits in there somewhere, come on, that's when things get wobbly and go out of whack. I'm telling you, I've never seen anybody, never, in 30-something years, and our thousands of people and pastors that we know over those years, never seen anybody pull back. The first thing is pulling back from commitments of church, serving, doing anything. That's the beginning. So you go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I go, uh-oh, there's trouble. And then, because they're not committed, maybe come every second Sunday. And then once a month. Then once, see, Sunday, then you don't miss church. And then it all goes downward. Hannah, when she was barren in 1 Samuel, you know what? She went through a time, she was married, and back then for women, as I said before, all their word is about producing sons and daughters, but mainly sons. Hannah couldn't conceive. Now here, her husband had a second wife. She was having children. And she had to let go. Imagine had two wives. Goodness me. Glad God come to sense and all that. Because it never worked. It was never successful. They were always fighting, bickering, jealous of each other. All the stuff that went on. Could you imagine having 20 or 30 of them? Oh my gosh. Which some of them did. One woman's enough for any man. Come on. <laughs> but... The other one's having babies, she can't, she's got great anguish, she's tormenting, the other wife is tormenting her, but she took her anguish to God. Come on. She worshipped and she praised. She exchanged her self-pity and her despair for hope and optimism. She took that anguish of what she couldn't have. Come on. She took it to God. She didn't allow it to make her. What she's doing is she's raising a hallelujah. Come on. She's praising God in the midst of a storm. She's praising God in the midst of her anguish and her disappointment. Come on. She could have thought about ways. Well, how can I get pregnant? How can I get back at her? What can I do? Spend money on this? Do money? Come on. She could have done all these other things. But she took her anguish before God and she worshipped him. That's all in uh, 1 Samuel 1. But I want to pick it up here. What she did was in verse 24. She goes there, she's crying out. She's in so much despair that the prophet actually thinks she's drunk because she's such a blood. But you know when you, you ever had that grief and that crying where you're just, <laughs> you're not making sense and so you're just, <laughs> it makes sense, you're like a crazy person. So he thought she was drunk and she says, no, my Lord, I'm not. And so what happens is he says to her, yep, this time next year, your baby says you'll have a baby. So what happens is she makes a promise and says that, God, if you bless me with a child, I will give it back to you. 
That's a pretty well, you know what? You've got to think about it. Sometimes when we want something so badly, we make a promise, God, if you just do this for me, then I'll do that. You better come good on your promise when it comes through. I don't really advocate doing that. It's not a good thing. Come on. We love God and we worship him because we do, okay? So what happens here is, this is in verse 24, where she's making good. Hannah's making good on her promise. It says this, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, and he got a flower, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord. Imagine how she can be like this. Think about it. She's giving up her baby, her one and only child. She wanted this baby so much. God grants it to her, but now she's got to come good on her promise. You know, it's like when we get saved, we're, Lord, I'll follow you all the days of my life. I'll do anything for you. I, I love you so much. Are we still willing to do anything for God? Do we still love him as passionately when he first saved us? Come on. When he visited us, are we still making good on our promises to him? So here she is, time. Now, when she made this deal, there was no promise of other children. All she knows is that she's just got, I think he was around four or five, got this little boy for a season, and then that's it. She's handing over. Nothing was mentioned in the deal. You give me, I give you back him, and you give me more. Come on, this was just a, a worship, a desire of a heart to be a mother, and she's happy that, God, if I can just be a mother and you can fulfill a promise, I'll give it to you. Now she's making good, and here she is. Pardon me, my Lord. Could you imagine what she's going through right then? She's handing her little boy over to Eli. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here before you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. <coughs> so now I give him back to the Lord. Because I was like, God, you gave me life. Now I'm giving it back to you. Come on, I'm trusting you. Never a promise of anything else that she would get from this, another child. But God, you gave me something. See, when we get saved and we get born again, God gives us life. Come on, he gives eternal life. We're going to be willing to say, God, I'm giving it all back to you. Be the center of everything. Not how many houses I've got. Not my career. Come on, not what I'm doing. Lord, you be the center of everything. Because it always works out when you put him as the center. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Verse 72. Well, actually, in that place right there, Hannah has a prayer. She worships God and she gives a little boy over. Stuff. Anyway, she worships God. She gives him over and she stands there and worships him and begins to prophesy a word out. It's incredible because what is she doing? This is the most traumatic time for Hannah, but she's raising a hallelujah. Come on, she's worshipping God in the midst. 
She saw God come through for her, but now it's time to hand this little boy back. What does she do? She worships God. She's raising a hallelujah. She's trusting God. My heart sings, I worship you, God. She would have been devastated on the inside. Come on, her natural things of handing her little boy over. First Samuel 2, verse 18 says this, But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, this breaks heart, his mother would make him a little robe and took it to him. She saw her little boy once a year. When she went up, when they went up to do, the said, can you imagine, here she is every year. She says, the little boy, it says the little boy wore a linen ephod. And every year she made him a new one. Could you imagine all year the love she's pouring out, making that little ephod. This is her baby, her one and only little boy. God gave it to her. But she was willing to sacrifice it, come on, and give him back. And she took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless them, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and she gave to God. Then they call the thing she prayed for and she gave to God. Then they would go home. And then, verse 21 says this, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. See, her hallelujah was rewarded. Come on. Her sacrifice, her worship, God rewarded it and gave her children. Now she's the mom of many children. But can you imagine her pride as a mama as Samuel grew and he's one of the prophets. Come on. He's in a, as a mama, that's my boy. Come on. I birthed him for the Lord. See, sometimes when we're giving out and it's painful and there's anguish and we've got to sacrifice and we've got to do something. Come on. It's painful. It's difficult. It's hard. But come on, now she can be rewarded. She's got more children. And now when she's looking back, she can stand as a proud mama. I birthed him. Come on. I believed God for that. I birthed that little boy. See that boy, Samuel? I was barren. Come on. I was barren, but I raised the hallelujah. Come on. I praised my God. I shouted to him. I wept before him. And I made a promise that if he did this for me, then I would do this for him. I make good of my promise. Come on. Yeah, I make good of it. And now, you see, that's what happens when we make good of our commitment and our promise. God, I will serve you. You have saved me. Come on. You have rescued me. I was in anguish. I was in heartache. You took me. You rescued me. Now I'm giving my life back to you. But see, when you give something to God, he gives you back something even greater. Come on. And I got back so much more. And she got to be, hey, I birthed that promise. Samuel, the great prophet, I birthed him. She would have forgot the pain. Come on. She would have forgot the anguish. She would have forgot the heartache, the grieving, the missing of the little boy. Now she would have just looked. I was obedient to the promise of God. I was obedient to the word of God. I was obedient to what he asked me. And now she can stand proudly. Come on. Proud and say, God came through but it says in the Bible, in Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, Let God arise in your situation. 
Come on, let God arise in your situation. Whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, come on. We've got to raise a hallelujah to God. We've got to worship him. Come on, we've got to get there and be in that place. Come on, let him arise. Let him arise. Okay, you might be going through loss. You might be struggling right now. You might be finding it hard to understand. But that's where we raise a hallelujah. That's where we shout unto the Lord. That's where we're thankful. I thank you, Lord, for what you did. I thank you for Jesus, especially at this time. Come on. Well, not Christmas. Yeah, it's great. But I think that's just for the world to realize what he did. It shouldn't just be for us. It's every day. Every day, thanking him. I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you, Lord, that you saved me. Come on, that you saved me and giving my life back to you. See, in the beginning when you've got to give something over, when Hannah had to give it over, it's painful, it's difficult. Come on, there's a loss, there's a disappointment, there's all sorts of emotions. But when you give something to God, he always gives back more. Come on, where you can stand and say, I did it wasn't really like that, come on. But when you get the victory, come on, when you stand the other side, you can stand proud. See, when we stood for our marriage, when we believed and said it was hard, it was difficult, but now we can stand and say, we did it, and now our kids are doing it. Come on, you can look back now and say, wow, we did it. But it was, we were like Hannah in the early stages. Come on. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Come on, let us rejoice. That's what I'm saying. If you want God to arise in your situation and your enemies to be scattered, you've got to rejoice. Come on, exceedingly. See, it repeats it twice. You've got to exceedingly rejoice. You've got to raise a hallelujah in the midst of your enemies, in the midst of the battle. Come on, in the midst of the depression, in the midst of the no money, in the midst of the addiction, in the midst of the lack, in the midst of the bad marriage. Come on. You've got to raise a hallelujah. Exceedingly. It doesn't say, let them rejoice before me. No, it says, yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. It repeats it. When God repeats anything in the Bible, it means we didn't get it the first time. No, he doesn't just want us to rejoice. He wants us to exceedingly rejoice. When we exceedingly rejoice, then God arises in our situation and our enemies are scattered. Amen? We need to get excited. Paul and Silas in prison. Acts 16, verse 23. It says this, after they had been severely flogged. Come on, this is not just a little, you know what, some of us get a little tap on the wrist from our pastors. And we go and sulk and leave the church, or we go and sulk and, no, I'm not coming next week, but we've got an attitude for a month. That's what the Bible says. Our leaders are put over us to look after us. Come on, to correct, to bring that. It's our job. It's our response, what God's given us. And like I've said many times before, for all of us, as the pastors of this church, we don't sit in our monthly meeting or meeting. Right, who can we bring discipline to this week? Oh, let's think about it. Mm, Solomon hasn't had any discipline lately. Let's give him a good discipline. Solomon's a good boy. <laughs> Jesus is the center of his life. You can see it in everything he does. But we don't do that. Come on. In actual fact, we pray, God, 
Thanks, see. We pray for ages. First, God, please let them see the errors of their way. Lord, you speak to them. Why do I have to speak to them? Why do I have to? We hate it. I don't think there's any pastor that enjoys discipline or confrontation. We don't enjoy it. Come on, but we know as a responsibility. We know when people's lives are not aligned and not right, we have to do it for the better. But it says here they were severely flogged. I don't think anyone's been severely flogged. Come on, severely flogged. We get a little smack and we're... When you don't even get enough smacks when you were little, that's the problem. Come on. I believe in the smack talks. Every child's... No, I'm not in New Zealand. They won't come and arrest me. It's okay. When they've been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Can you imagine? These guys have done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong to receive a severe flogging and then thrown into prison. You know what? There's been times in my life when I've been corrected but the correction's been for me, come on, for my good. Sometimes we need that, it's for us. It's a test from God. How do we handle it? We're going to take our bike and go home? We're going to run to mummy or we're going to run to everybody else and badmouth the person who brought correction because we got a little spanking? Verse 25. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing psalms to the hymns to the Lord, and the other prisoners were listening to them. What are they doing? They're raising a hallelujah in the midst of their enemy. They didn't deserve this. Come on. They were out doing good. Come on. Sometimes you're doing good. Sometimes you're doing everything right, and your stuff happens. But I'll tell you, when you're doing everything right and stuff happens, God will always turn it for your good. But sometimes the stuff happens for a test for you. What's your attitude going to be? They could have been, see the interesting thing is, is the prisoners were listening. People are listening to what you're saying. Oh, my God's an awesome God. I worship him. Next minute you're pulling down everybody or you're cheating and lying and whatever. People are watching and listening. They raised a hallelujah. Come on, they worshipped. They gave a sound. They made a joyful sound unto God. They're in pain. Come on, they're, they're in jail. They've been fastened. They would have been sore. They would have been hungry. They would have been trying to understand why this has happened to us. We haven't done anything wrong. We're not criminals. We're not thieves. Come on, all we did was worship. We do what God asked us to do. All we did was evangelize. Come on, that's all we did. Now we're sitting in prison. They could have sat there and complained about their hurts. Oh, it hurts. Oh, I just got beaten for nothing. Oh, God, where are you in my situation? Now what do they do? They raise a hallelujah. They worship God in the midst of their enemies, in the midst of their pain. They worship God. And then verse 26 says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once 
all the, sorry, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains were loose. Come on, everybody's chains were loose. When we worship God in the midst of our troubles, when we worship God, when we raise a hallelujah in the midst of our enemies, when God moves on our behalf, when he comes through with that breakthrough, it's not just for you. Other people's lives will be set free. Chains will be breaking off other people's lives. Prison doors will be open for others because you'll be able to say, I was like you. I felt rejected. I felt this. Come on. I was always in. But instead of complaining, instead of licking my wounds, instead of saying how bad or how this is, I praise God. I raise the hallelujah in my situation. Now God has come through. Come on. If it was easy, everybody would just do it and follow God. But we know that doesn't produce anything. It's the stuff that produces things. Come on, it's the pain. But Paul shouted, do no harm to yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? Come on, their hallelujah was rewarded. Come on, their worship was rewarded. In the midst of their enemies, in the midst of their pain, they lifted up to God. They shouted unto God. They didn't look at their circumstances. They didn't complain about what they didn't have. They didn't complain how unfair it is. Come on, they began to worship. Now people are getting set free. Prison doors are open, changed, and the jailer himself, come on, that's influence. That's people of influence, comes in and falls at their feet and says, what must we do to be saved? See, when you walk that life with the Lord, when he comes into your life, we're excited. But when you give your life back to him and say, Jesus, you're the center of everything. Come on, you'll go through some difficult things. And you, we all know that happens. That's part of it. It's a preparation that I want to tell you, if you keep worshipping God, if you keep praising Him, you will see the victory. It'll be rewarded. We have a look at Daniel now. He's another one. That in the time of his, Daniel was someone who worshipped God and he survived. There was a lot of hostile takeovers, but he survived. His position survived. See, this is a man who's dedicated to God. But there was lots of kings that took over. There was hostile takeovers, but they all kept him on board. Come on, so when God and Jesus are the centre of your life, you can have hostile takeovers, companies taken over, people getting sacked, but you will not lose your job. See, when I worked in the world, God, you gave me this job. There was many times there was talk of cutbacks and people getting laid off. I never felt insecure. Because it's like, God, you gave me this job, and you can take it from me. And if you take it from me, then that means you've got something better for me. Come on. See, there we go. God, you gave me my business. Because not my good brains or how good you are. God gives you the ability to do business. God gives you your business. Come on. He gives you the position. And if God gives it to you, if you've made Jesus the center, if he's the center of everything, when the boat starts rocking, when things echo, you will not lose your business. Come on. We've got good friends who in the economic climate, they made the most money. When it all fell in the US, they made the most money they've ever made to this day in a downturn climate when everybody else was losing money, losing houses, going bankrupt, they made their most money in a downturn market. Why? Because Jesus is the centre of everything. Come on. When he's the centre of your business, your life, your marriage, it doesn't matter what happens. 
So Daniel survived all this thing. So what happened is there'll be people who'll be jealous of you. Come on, the world. There's a such thing called an antichrist spirit, which that means they're not for you, okay? Just to put it tiny, they're not for you. They're an actual fact, an antichrist spirit will hate everything about you for no reason because you represent God. Because they can't stand, they've got the antichrist, they've got to, they can't stand what lives inside of you. So these guys were so jealous at how Daniel survived and how, so it says, these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Come on, they're pompous. They use their words, oh, live forever, King Darius. We come before you. Flattery, come on. The enemy works in flattery, puffing you up. Oh, you're so wonderful. King Darius, live forever. And all the governors of the kingdom and the ministers and the satraps, the counsellors and the advisors have consulted together. What happens is they all get together. All the baddies get together. Come on, all the antichrists get together. We've seen a bit of that working right out at the moment in the world. All the antichrists get together. Come on, they make rules. They make freedom. We have advised together. And we've made a decision to establish a royal statue and make a firm decree. Come on, they're always about, this is for you, King. This is for you. This is going to be so wonderful. And they always have a hidden agenda. It wasn't about the King. Come on. This is for you, O King. And it says... We consult together and make a firm decree that whoever petitions any other god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Come on, this is plotting. It's deceitful. They've consulted together and they're agreed on something. That's what the enemy does. Consults together, works through flattery. Oh, king, they were never about the king. They are never about him. They're all about Daniel. They want to take out the man of God. Come on. They want to take out this person who God has blessed through hostile takeovers, through all sorts of things. Come on. They wanted to. They couldn't stand that he survived. Come on. They couldn't stand that he was a righteous man. When you do righteous and do what's right before God, the enemy can't stand it. So an antichrist spirit in someone will plot against you. Come on. Now, O king, Establish a decree, sign the writing, so it cannot be changed. That's what they want to do. But you know what? Doesn't matter what the enemy do, God can always change it. Doesn't matter what he plans, what he does, God can always change it. So they're saying, so it cannot be changed. Trying to make the laws unchangeable. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now listen to this. Daniel hears the decree. Daniel worships God. He's the true God. He's got Jesus. Well, not Jesus, God. Jesus wasn't around there. But God's the center, same thing. God's the center of his life. But now, it's maybe going to take away his cushy little lifestyle. Come on. Maybe he's going to lose his position. Maybe he's going to die. Because the decree was that if anybody bowed down and worshipped anything else but the king, that they would be put in the lion's den. 
So what's Daniel going to do? His privilege, come on, he survived hostile, he survived all these things. What's he going to do now? Well, let's see. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and he hid and worshipped God in the basement. Wow, how many of you know your Bible? Sarah does, she's laughing. Okay, no, that's not what happened, okay? For those of you that don't know. It says this. He went home into the upper room, so he didn't hide, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. So this is an act of defiance. Come on, he didn't go and hide now because I'm afraid of what they're saying. Come on, this is an act of defiance. It says that he now goes to the upper room. He opens the windows towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he was accustomed to do since his early days. Come on. He never changed his relationship with God. There was laws and decrees that said he couldn't do it and even though a man he could die or he could lose his job, Daniel never ever changed anything what he did. In actual fact, he didn't hide. Come on, he goes in the upper room. I see it as such an act of defiance. He knows who his God is. He knows that God will rescue him. He knows that God has helped him through all that. That's what the trials are for. That's why going through stuff, when you get the victory, you're like, God, you did it for me there, then you'll do it for me here. Come on, you will come through for me. So he goes and he opens up and he worships as usual. Daniel positions himself. Come on, he puts him in a place of prayer. He's in the hallelujah. The laws have changed. Come on, he could lose his job. In actual fact, he could die. But you know what? He could lose everything. It's a hard season. Come on, it could be a difficult time for him. But it doesn't matter because God is the center of his life. He's never going to give up on his worship. He's never going to give up on what he's accustomed to do. What is he accustomed to do? To bow down and worship and pray. What are we accustomed to do? To come to church, to worship, to serve our God. Come on, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of losing his lovely position, he's been elevated to a great position in the midst of that, what does he do? He bows down and he worships. Nothing changes. See, nothing should change. No matter what we go to, our love, our passion, our love for the house of God, our love to worship, our love to serve God, it should never change. See, he was secure. He raises a hallelujah in the midst of his enemy. He didn't succumb to pressure when the decree was set. He opened the windows, he prayed, and he didn't hide. And verse 14, you know what happens in between that? The king realizes what he's done. And they come to him and say, well, Daniel's worshipping his God. See, that was their plan. It was never about the king. See, they knew Daniel. They knew that he worshipped his God. They knew that even though a law was made, they were looking for a way to get Daniel. They were looking for a way to trap him. And they knew that Daniel would never change. They would have bet money, and I bet you he won't change. He'll worship that God of his. He'll still do what he's always done. And he did and it was all about that. Straight away they run, oh, king, king, king. Daniel's That's the enemy. Come on. That's him trying to trap. And then the king realizes and says he's sad and he can't sleep all night. He stays up all night looking for a way, looking for a way out. But see, the enemy sometimes. 
sometimes tries and traps us. Come on. He tries and makes laws and decrees to trap us, to stop us worshipping, to stop speaking out about our God, to stop witnessing. Come on. To pull back. So that's why next year we're so excited about the, the um marketplace initiative, come on, because you've got to realise that a lot of laws that have been changed in our lands, actually lands across the earth today have been changed by 3% of the population. And now they're ruling and making laws and we've got to bow out to those laws, but we don't bow them, but come on, but now those laws are affecting us. But come on, we are more than 3%. The body of Christ is way more than that. But we've got to start doing and being all what God's called us to do. And so the king stays up all night and he realizes that's unchangeable. But see, God made it like that. Can't you see this? This is a setup. They think they're going to trap him. They think they're going to outsmart God. But it's a setup. God didn't allow the king to find anything. God allowed him to make a law that was unchangeable so God can demonstrate, you know, a man thinks he can do this, but I'm bigger, I'm better, I can do even greater. Come on. Verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, he was greatly distressed with himself and he set his heart on trying to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Like I said, God had a bigger plan. Verse 16. So the king gave the orders. He had no choice. And they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. The king said this to Daniel. Listen to this. This is what the king says. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Come on, the king knew who Daniel's God was. He knew that Daniel worshipped a God that would be there. Come on, the king's now on his side. Come on, he's helping him. He's saying, Daniel, may the God whom you serve continually rescue you. Come on, I tried to get you out, but I can't. But this God who you continually serve... Oh, I hope he rescues you. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, come on, the king, I believe, he would have had another night of no sleep. He's worrying about Daniel because it says at first light, he runs down and he says this. He says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out. You imagine, oh, I hope Daniel's alive. I hope he's okay. He says he calls out in a voice of anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, listen to this. He's honouring him. He's saying, Daniel, servant of the living God. Come on, servant, now he's decreeing about his God. Servant, because Daniel never changed his standards. Come on, he never, ever dropped. God was the centre of his life no matter what he was going through. And he now says, servant of the living God, has your God who you serve continually. Come on, isn't this awesome? Everybody knew Daniel served God continually. He wasn't wishy-washy. Well, I'm serving you today. No, it's a bad week. I'm not serving you this week. Well, I'm coming to church. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, I love everyone at church. Oh, I hate everybody at church. Oh. Come on. He served his God continually. Everybody knew that about him. He says, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. Come on, he's now honouring the king. It's a double thing. Come on, may the king live forever. My God, come on, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in, the, in his sight. No, have I ever done anything wrong 
you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the dead. And when Daniel was lifted from the dead, no wound was found on him because he had trusted his God. Come on, shout hallelujah. Come on. Because he shouted. Well, because he trusted in his God. The king is so concerned. Daniel, your God, who you can turn, whoever you worship. He says him the living God. He's now decreeing it. So I'm a bit excited. Come on. God rescued him. He rescued him. He had to face God. But Daniel never dropped his standard ever. When they said you can't worship your God, when Telegon was tough, he raises a hallelujah. He doesn't, I'm sure, in that lion's den. He was worshipping God. He was shouting for trouble. He would have been. Because he's like, my gosh, these lions aren't hungry. Greg says that's a real Daniel fast. <laughs> the lions were not hungry that time. Come on, in the midst of the storm, I'm going to finish up, in the midst of the storm, what do you do? Come on, in a natural storm, what do we do? We take shelter, we ride it out, because you know it'll pass. Come on, you know the storm will pass. Another one you can look at later at home, a bit of homework. Abraham, Genesis 23. This is Abraham, he's got to sacrifice his son. God tells him to do it. He doesn't procrastinate. He doesn't question. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up. He saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy gather here. We will worship. Come on, think about that. That's an incredible statement. God's told him to kill your son. Isaac's the promise. Come on, he's the promise. God promised him that. That's the promise. He's a miracle job. God, you want me to kill the miracle? It's about trusting. Come on. So what does he do in the midst of disaster? In the midst of maybe confusion? In the midst... He worships. He says, me and the boy will worship. He's raising a hallelujah. But he says this, well, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. That's faith. Because reality was the boy's not coming back. Come on, God, God told him to kill him. But he says, we will come back to you. See, that's faith. See, Abraham trusted God enough that if you tell me to sacrifice the miracle, to sacrifice the promise, come on, to sacrifice my life, if you tell me, God, to do that, then you will provide a miracle. See, I believe Isaac to God has a way no matter what. Even though it might look like death, even though it looks like I've got a killer or the promise is dying or whatever, he's got enough confidence that God will either raise him from the dead and we know that God comes through and he says, he provides a lamb and wickedness says, I know your heart. You know what, if all your money and everything you owned was on a racehorse, everything you had in this life was on a racehorse in a race. Now, I'm not advocating betting, I don't bet, I don't gamble, but it's a good analogy. And that horse is in a race. Wouldn't you be shouting for that horse as loud as you could? Because if that horse wins, you can get double, triple, or whatever for your effort, for your money. You'd be shouting with everything. Come on. 
You've been given everything. Come on, and when the race is coming, I've watched them on the TV in the Melbourne Cup day, and they're all shouting and screaming and yelling. Because why? Not for the horse, because all their money's on that horse. It's nothing about the horse. Come on, it's their money's on that horse. And when it's getting closer, come on, close to the breakthrough, they're yelling, they're screaming. That's what we need to be doing. Come on, all our money, everything we got should be on God. Jesus, the center of everything. That we're yelling and we're screaming. You're in the race of your life. Come on, but we're going to make it. Come on, we're going to win this race. We're going to get everything. You might have had some losses. You might have some places where it felt like death. You might have felt like you're in the lion's den. You might have felt like that everything's against you. But I want to promise you and tell you that if you worship God, if you raise a hallelujah, if you trust him, you will win and you will get more back. Let's stand this man. Amen. Hope that's excited you. Raising a hallelujah. Come on. What I want to do right now is there's a great song. I was just in my quiet time with the Lord. I was listening to I love to worship. You know what? You need to find worship songs that you like. I will play them over and over and I'll go through seasons and ones I like. It was Waymaker, Miracle, I can't say Promise Keeper. That was my song, Light in the Darkness. My God, that is who you are. Come on, he's my Waymaker. He's my Miracle Worker. He's my Light in the Darkness. That is who he is to me. And when I sing in the morning and just play it over and over again, all throughout the day, I wake up subconsciously I start singing, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Light in the Darkness. Well, and the worship lifts me through the day when we worship. And so I was listening to this, raise a hallelujah in the midst of my enemies. I thought, mm, that's good. And I wrote this message from that. My worship time with the Lord. Come on. Raising a hallelujah. And God led me then to the scriptures about people that did that. So as we play that, uh, are we good with that? What I want you to do is I want us to come out of our seats because I want you out of your comfortable zone. Yeah. I know people are like, oh, it's nice to stay in your seat. I want you getting out of your comfort zone today. Okay? And we're going to raise a hallelujah. Come on. Sing along with the song. Whatever you're going through, come on. Whatever you're in right now, raise a hallelujah. Come on making you like I raise a hallelujah. Come on. Man, it's sick. Raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. In the midst, this is what Daniel did. Now the Lord of my unbelief. Come on, let's shout this way louder than your unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. Our weapon is a Come on. This is your weapon when we fight Hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. See, God comes and fights for you. I'm going to see in the middle of the storm. Now I'm looking at love. 